0: Good morning everyone, this is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. If you are joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, you can go to our website which is located at www.biggrace.com, www.b-i-g-g R-A-C-E dot com and get more information on Raven Ministries International. We are here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an expository teaching on the Word of God. And today we're going to begin in our uh, study on the book of Revelation. And we're at, at class actually at class 38, class 38 in our, in our study. And we're in about, we're in chapter 10 is where we're going to be continuing at today. If you've missed previous classes, never fear. You can go to that website, biggrace.com, click on Raven Institute, and all those classes will be made available to you absolutely free of charge for a uh, MP3 download. So you can go to that website and download those, download those classes. I believe there's 20, the first 26 minus class 13, which for some reason we're having trouble getting it loaded. But those are there, we'll work on getting that and these other 12 classes uh, loaded here in the next day or so, so you'll have them by the end of the week. So go on there, download those if you want to hear what's going on and, and get caught up to... What's happening in our study in the book of Revelation, I invite you to do that. If you have prayer requests, we're in a season, continuing in a season of prayer and fasting uh, before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really been a great great time, a great challenge, a great expectancy. And uh, so we're pressing on through, begin uh, uh, basically right after the day after Christmas, and we're continuing through. Uh, to some degree throughout the month of January. And So if you have prayer requests, send those to pray at biggrace.com, P-R-A-Y at biggrace.com. Some people said they had a problem with uh, those messages bouncing from the pray at biggrace.com. I've since gone in and corrected that, and, and so you shouldn't have a problem on that. If you do have a problem with that, you can send those to our, our question and request line, which is also at raven at biggrace.com, raven at biggrace.com. Either one of those will come directly to me and uh, we'll get your prayer request up. We're just believing God for some tremendous miracles in a time of, of outpouring. I don't know about you folks, but I don't want, as good as 2008 was, and had some tremendous testimonies and things, and it, it was, I mean, some momentous things in my life and as regards to ministry and in the kingdom. Uh, I'm expecting so much more. I just believe that was kind of a precursor to things that are ahead. And so we pressed through in 2007 to close it out and open it up 2008. And so in 2008 we've pressed through and we're going to continue to press through in 2009 with really a heart of expectancy on the things that God is desiring to do. So prayer requests, send those out. We want to see people get saved and delivered and healed and God's provision come into people's life, and we want to see revival just begin to strike churches all across the, the United States and really this continent and the world for that. So we're praying and believing God. Send your prayer request in, and we're gonna we're gonna touch the, the throne of God and believe God's hand is not shortened still yet that He cannot heal, deliver, and save. So send those prayer requests. Out to that, Uh, just as a a bit of a word to you for those that are watching us live. Some people aren't, and they're uh, actually on the delay, obviously, from the downloads later on. But if you are live with us, we will not be live this coming Friday, which is the 16th, nor on Monday. Because, like I said before, we went live. We're going to be actually in the city of New Orleans this coming weekend, uh, getting ready, uh, doing some preparatory work for our outreach which I'll mention as well for you guys listening to it live or not, because we do this every single year. Uh, every year... Um Uh, during uh, the mardi gras uh, in new orleans where hundreds of thousands of visitors come into the city we take uh, a a large team into the city and preach the gospel and we'd like to invite you Uh, that outreach for mardi gras is actually february 20th through the 24th february 20th through the 24th and we'd love for you to join us Uh, i had a guy call me the other day from uh, i believe it was georgia and he asked what the cost was and i said there's no cost you just come we'll house you we'll feed you We'll transport you around there locally with a team and we'll go win some people to Jesus. You just come and uh, this ministry is going to take care of those expenses for you. And so that extends as well. So if you want to come and be a part, we'd love you to be a part of that. Again, more information, ravenatbiggrace.com or go to the website. You can go to the website and click on the the Mardi Gras outreach uh, button and you'll find out more information as well too. We're praying for that. We're praying for a great revival to break forth in the city of New Orleans. We're gonna go get us some this weekend. Preach the gospel on Bourbon Street and watch Jesus do some tremendous things. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Just believe God for a uh, for a really good time in the, in the Word. You know, as I get we get into this, you know, as, as we get deeper into the revelation, we get closer to the revelation. And what I mean by that is the, the more you get into it, the nearer is our salvation than when we first believed. So uh, each and every day just brings us one step closer to the complete unveiling of what we're seeing right here in the Scripture, which is exciting stuff for me. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord God, to have your son Jesus revealed to us Lord God, deeper and deeper. Lord God, not just in our in our study here this hour that we gather together uh, on on a daily basis, but Lord God, in our times of seeking you and in prayer, Lord God, and you speaking to us through your precious Holy Spirit, Lord God, we thank you that, that you're being revealed, Lord God, uh, from day to day, Lord God, and you're taking us from glory to glory, and we get to build faith upon faith, Lord God, as we come and we ingest, Lord God, upon ourselves the word of truth. And so, Father, thank you that we can come to the table of the Lord today, and that, Father, even though we're, we, we may be praying and fasting, Lord God, that we have meat that they know not of. And, and man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, Father, we're asking, Lord God, for you to spread a table of your word today. Come and fill us up, Lord God, and let us consume upon, Lord God, our, our spirits, Father, that, that, that word, Lord God, that brings forth life. And drink of that water, Lord God, that, that, that quenches our thirst, Lord God, and, and provides, Lord God, an atonement for our sins through the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, today, we just ask that you would just touch hearts and lives, Lord God. There's people that have been sick. There's people that have been, uh, uh, Lord God, going through difficult times in their life. But, Father, I thank you that there's a Jesus still seated upon the throne in glory just as we see, Lord God, in in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4, Lord God. He has all power and authority in his hands, Lord God. Father, I thank you that that you are still there, Lord God, that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. So, Father, we pray for those that have been sick in body and we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God, for the full miraculous manifestation, Lord God, of the healing that was bought for us on the cross of Calvary. Lord God, every everything that would deter, Lord God, that healing, we bind those things up in the authority that you've given us because you set upon that rock, that rock which is Christ Jesus, that you'll build your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whether the gates of hell are coming in sickness, Lord God, in, in financial uh, problems, Lord God, and in, in relational difficulties, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you set Said, "...behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever we bind here on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." So we bind every uh, affliction, we bind every infirmity, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Blinded eyes, opened, Lord God. Deafened ears, Lord God. Unstopped, Lord God. Father, the, the, the lame, Lord God. The, the withered. Father, those with, with difficulties in their circulatory or nervous system, Lord God, or respiratory system, uh, gastrointestinal, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that every one of those situations would come in line, Father, with that word... Father, that hung up on that cross 2,000 years ago. And, Lord God, that they would be healed in Jesus' name. Father, we just pray, Lord God, that, that the adversary, Lord God, that we try to Lord God, uh, wreak havoc, Lord God, in the provision that you bought for your people, Lord God. The Word says that uh, you own the cattle in a thousand hills, Lord God. And, and it says, Lord God, if we seek your kingdom first, then all these things will be provided to us, Lord God. What we need as far as eating and, and, and clothing, Lord God, and a place to live. And so, Father, we break the back of the devil, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. And, Father, we stand, Lord God upon the promises which are yes and amen and I thank you Lord God that there's one greater than our circumstance and that's the Lord Jesus Christ and Father today Lord God move miraculously in our midst Lord God empower this word Lord God empower and and, and help this teacher Lord God as I begin to open my mouth and I begin to herald Lord God Father, your pronouncements to the body of Christ and Father we thank you for this day touch restore heal Lord God deliver Lord God and give us Lord God a revelation of yourself in Jesus' name amen Amen, amen, and amen. Once again, thank you so much for just slipping in with us. This is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is coming live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. And good to have you today for this. If you have questions about any of the teachings we have, send those to raven at biggrace.com. If it's uh, in relationship to our study on the, the unveiling, love to answer it here live. If it's a, another question that you have, send it anyway. I'd love to answer that too, and uh, be glad to talk about the scripture with you. Give you what I got. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does, and his name is Jesus. Hey, folks, if you remember in our discussion from chapter four, uh, you know we brought in a scripture from First Thessalonians First, First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen through eighteen, and it says, "The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout." and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And it says the dead will rise first, dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds uh, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we all ever be with the Lord. Uh, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Pretty comforting words for the for the church and pretty alarming words for those that are lost uh, and without hope, uh, without Christ. But it says the Lord will descend from heaven with a, what a shout, Keliouma is a nice little Greek word uh, that's used right there. But listen, I want you to listen to what that word shout means. It's an order, it's a command, specifically a stimulating cry, either that which animals hear and are roused up by, or the sound that's urged on by man, as horses by charioteers, hounds by hunters, etc., or by that which a signal is given to men. Okay? And so you don't have to write all that down. That's a whole, whole bunch. Just you get the idea of what it is. It's a signal. It's a sound. It's something that's emitted that's either heard by animals or something maybe a, a hunter or somebody gives in order to to to, to bring forth a, a response from that. If you if you've seen a dog whistle? you know dog whistle, some of them you can hear them. Some of them you can't. You know. Some of them you have They have a real high-pitched tone. Others, they're just a silent whistle. And so it's kind of like that. Now, I want you to hear something. This is some of the things we've been talking about over the last uh, few weeks This is an article that was just released, if you guys are listening to us live, just in the last couple weeks. Actually, last Friday, January 9th. And here's what it says. I guess last Friday was January 9th, wasn't it? Yeah. And so this is, listen to this headline. It says, Mystery Roar Detected from Far Away Space. And this is Friday, June 9th, and it's it's Long Beach, California. Now listen to this article. It's, It's amazing. It says, Space is typically thought of as a very quiet place. But one team of astronomers has found a strange cosmic noise that booms six times louder than expected. The roar is from a distant cosmos, and no one knows what causes it. And so it's way out there. They've used their their radar, they've used their scopes, they've used their antennas to go out and grab that signal, which is still way out in the cosmos. And it says, of course, sound waves can't travel in a vacuum, which is what most of space is, or at least... Uh, they can't uh, do it very efficiently, but but radio waves can. Radio waves are not sound waves, but they're still electromagnetic waves stimulated on a low-frequency end of the light spectrum. Many objects in the universe, including stars and quasars, emit radio waves, even our home galaxy, the, uh, the Milky Way, emits a static hiss, which was first detected in 1931 by physicist Carl Jansky. Other galaxies also send out background noise that kind of like, sounds like a radio hiss. But the newly detected signal, check this out, described here today at the 213th meeting of the American Astronomical Society is far louder than ast- uh, astronomers expected. And here's what it says. It says, There is something new and interesting going on in the universe, said Alan Koga of NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. A team led by Gogut detected the signal with a balloon-borne instrument named ARCADE, Absolute Radi- Radiometer for Cosmology, Astrophysics, and Diffused Emissions, is what ARCADE stands for. In July 2006, the instrument was launched from NASA's Columbia Scientific Balloon Facility in Palestine, Texas. In an instrument that's in Palestine or Palestine, and everything's going on in "quote unquote" Palestine right now, and they reached an altitude of about 120,000 feet, which is 36,500 meters, from where the atmosphere thins into the vacuum of space. Arcade's mission was to search the sky for faint signs of heat from the first generation of stars, but instead they heard a roar from the distant reaches of the universe. Uh, Kogut said the universe uh, really threw us a curve. Instead of the faint signal we had hoped to find, there was this booming noise six times louder than anyone had predicted. Detailed analysis of the signal uh, ruled out uh, primordial stars or any known radio sources, including gas in the outermost halo of our own galaxy. Other radio galaxies also can't account for the noise. There just aren't enough of them. You'd have to pack them into the universe like sardines, said the study team member, Del Fixon of the University of Maryland. There wouldn't be any space left between one galaxy and the other. The signal is measured to be six times brighter than the combined emission of all known radio sources in the universe. For now, the origin of the signal remains a mystery. We really don't know what it is, said team member uh, Michael Seifert of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. And not only has it presented astronomers with a new puzzle, it is also obscuring the sought-for signals from the earliest stars. But the cosmic static may itself provide important clues to the development of galaxies when the universe was much younger, less than half its present age. And so it just goes on to you know, talk about different things. But isn't it amazing that there is going to be a shout that is coming out of eternity? And you know what this is I you know I, we, obviously we 're just speculating, but isn't it interesting that these astronomers, most of which are uh, evolutionists, most of which do not believe actually in a, in a god they're big bang people, now they 're getting a big bang, and it 's when uh, uh, the, the word says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, and they 're hearing this shout, this roar, and we 're going to talk about that roar just a little bit here in chapter ten today, but uh so you'll remember that, but also check this out. Remember from our study in chapter 8 concerning the trumpet judgments. It says we'll basically affect the the, uh, the world in this geophysical type of manner. And here's what it said in, in Revelation chapter 8, 6 through 7. And the seven angels, which had seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hell and fire, mingled with blood. And they were all cast up on the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass Was burnt up, and if you'll remember, we talked about just that trumpet and what it's going to do in the in the geophysical sense. It's going to have all of these uh, incredible uh, uh, environmental problems. Crops are going to fail, and all these things. Now, listen to this headline. This was on the exact same day that that other one came out, and here's what it says. It says, "Powerful solar storm could shut down the U.S. for months." And this is, once again, uh, from, the, uh, from a news report. It says that a new study from the National Academy of Sciences... What I love about these things is all these scientists that are, like, once again, typical atheists or, at the very best, agnostic, uh, are the ones coming up and, and having to, to see these things. A new study from the National Academy of Sciences outlines grim possibilities on the Earth for a worst-case scenario solar storm. Damage to power grids and other communication systems could be catastrophic, the scientists conclude, with effects leading to a potential loss of government control of the situation. The prediction is based in part on a major solar storm that occurred last in 1859 that caused telegraph wires to short out in the United States and Europe, uh, igniting widespread fires. It was perhaps the worst in the past 200 years, according to the new study, and with the advent of modern power grids and satellites, there is much more risk right now. A contemporary repetition of that event would cause significantly more extensive and catastrophic social and economic disruptions, the researchers conclude. When the sun is in the active phase of its 11-year cycle, it can unleash powerful magnetic storms that disable satellites, threaten astronaut safety, and even disrupt communication systems on Earth. The worst storms can knock out power grids by reducing currents that melt transformers. Uh, more, modern power grids are so interconnected that a big space storm, the type expected to occur about once every hundred years, could cause a cascade of failures that would sweep across the United States, cutting power to 130 million people or more in this country alone, the new report concludes. Such widespread power outages, though expected to be a rare possibility, could affect other vitamins, vital systems. Impacts would be felt on the interdependent infrastructures with, for example, potable water, uh, distribution affected within several hours, perishable foods and medications lost within 12 to 24 hours, immediate or eventual loss of heating, air conditioning, sewage disposal, phone service, transportation, fuel supply, and so on, the report states. Outages could take months to fix, the research say. Banks would close. Trade with other con- countries might halt. Emergency services would be strained and command uh, and control might be lost, right? The research is led by Daniel Baker, director of the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics at the University of Colorado in Boulder, Colorado. He said, Whether it's a terrestrial catastrophe or extreme space weather incidents, the results will be devastating to modern societies dependent in a myriad of ways on advanced technology systems. It goes on to say the the Earth is, uh, the Sun is obviously Earth's lifeblood. Said Richard Fisher, Director of the uh, Heliophysics uh, Division of NASA, to mitigate possible public safety issues, it is vital that we better understand extreme space weather events caused by the sun 's activity. goes on to talk about the uh, the, the uh, problem with uh, crop failures and everything like that, but isn 't it amazing we 're talking about all of these things that are happening and folks they are happening in real time right here in the news reports and all this that was basically from a NASA report that they'd done, and so folks. We're here. We're standing literally as the the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is is wetting his lips to sound the trumpet blast from heaven. The sound is on the way. And so it's not a matter of waiting for it to happen. I believe that the blast of the trumpet is just Short of reaching our ears in that day that we see revealed in Revelation four one, so it's pretty pretty exciting and it's pretty challenging in the sense that we realize that it's right there. Science is even uh, seeing that these things are just upon the horizon. So my warning to you is repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you if you're not right, get right. Amen. So, folks, this past week in our last class, we started to look at this this tenth chapter of the uh, of the book of the Revelation. And, and really, as I mentioned, this this is another one of these, and we use that terminology, the parenthetical statement that that John inserts throughout, really the kind of the course of this unveiling, to to bring a greater clarity and a detail to what is being shown. And and so we've kind of adopted that same type of approach to our study in the in the Revelation, giving you these. Uh, giving you a study then, then giving you kind of a, a parenthetical analysis of some of the things to kind of give you a better basis, not on just what it's saying, but why it's saying it. And so I mentioned in our last class that, that we'll be looking at uh, in it at chapter 10. And, and really that chapter 10, this whole parenthetical statement, begins in chapter 10 and really kind of continues through the 14th verse of the 11th chapter. And that's what you're going to see. And so it's descriptive of really what happens uh, between the sixth and the second. Uh, excuse me, sixth and the seventh trumpet judgments. And so, uh, kind of by way of review, I want to go over a couple of things and probably expand on just a little bit on uh, kind of the, some early verses of chapter ten and kind of get a little bit deeper into that revelation and see really the ever-increasing consequences of sin upon humanity as is going to be revealed through the judgments of God upon the world during the tribulation. So let's back up just a minute to that verse 1 of chapter 10, where it says, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet were as feet were pillars of fire. I mentioned to you that there's kind of two schools of thought. One is that this, is, uh, this angel is actually Christ which I adhere to. I believe that the great preponderance of biblical evidence leans towards that. Some people think it's just an uh, uh, angel just administering the judgments. I don't believe there's evidence really for that. Some people hold to it. If you hold to it, uh, go for it. Uh, when we get there and we see this, you'll find out that uh, it's probably not going to be that case, but it's going to be Christ. Let me, let me give you a couple other. I gave you a few the other day. kind of gave you some, uh, somewhat, somewhat of a chart. But I believe uh, that really this whole theophany or Christophany is, uh, is that angel of the Lord, this mighty angel, is really consistent in Scripture. Let me give you another Scripture. I don't think I gave you this another day. It's Isaiah 63, 9. Isaiah 63, 9. And it says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Okay, You know we're talking about Jesus here. And it says, And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bared them, and carried them all the days of old. And so, he, he was afflicted. That's Jesus. And the angel of his presence. So it's using the term angel as a description of his presence. That word angel in the Hebrew is malak, and so if you want a good English spelling for a Hebrew word, m a l a w k, m a l a w k. And here's what it means: it means to be dispatched as a messenger, specifically of God. It's an angel, but it also speaks of a prophet, a priest, or a teacher. Which Jesus was all of those things. And a typical angel is not those things. An angel is just a messenger. But so that Moloch that says the angel of his presence is also a prophet, priest, or teacher. It's an ambassador, an angel. But another terminology that Moloch can is a king. And so we have this angelic presence, this kingly presence, this prophetic, priestly, teaching, ambassador, Dispatched presence of this angel there in Isaiah six three nine, and what's interesting and really kind of revealing as we kind of look at the definition in light of the Book of Revelation is kind of some instances of these theophanies. And check this out just for on on three occasions up to this point that we're at right now, we've observed this angelic messenger. Remember, the first time was in Revelation seven two, and he said, "I saw another angel ascending from heaven, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels." To, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Second time was Revelation eight five. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire off the altar and cast it to the earth and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes. Then the, the third instance is right here in Revelation ten one. Obviously I saw an angel, mighty angel, another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet were as pillars of fire. And so what's interesting about this in the first appearance he's he's presented as a prophet holding back judgment. He's presented as a prophet holding back judgment. In the second appearance, he's presented as a priest standing as a messenger of the covenant. So the first appearance, he's a prophet holding back judgment, this angel. The second appearance, he's presented as a priest standing as a messenger of the covenant. And in the third appearance, he's the king who's holding all authority. Which are what? They're obviously the characteristics of Christ. He's our, he's a prophet to us. He's our, our priest. He's that high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's the, he, we have a high priest who is touched by the feelings of our infirmities, always tempted like we are yet without sin. And he's that soon coming king as well. And so you see just that those, those three theophanies or Christophanies right there in those, those three verses in Revelation present the character and the characteristics and the revealing of Christ. And so, as we talk about this whole unveiling, we've got to always understand that, that He is that prophetic voice to us. And so, folks, if you want to know what's on the horizon, once again, that, that, that He does nothing except He first reveal it to His servants, the prophets. And so, He is that prophetic voice. We have a more sure word of prophecy that, that He has given us through the testimony of His Son, Jesus. And so, Consistent with the word, he's that prophet. He's also that priest who continuously makes intercession for us, standing as the messenger of the covenant and that king who holds all authority in our lives. And so, folks, for us, who who is the ultimate authority over you? And so if he has authority over you. He has power to, to, to bring life. He has the power to bring death. And so... If Even at this late stage, he's still revealing himself in all of these characteristics to his people. And ultimately, it's going to be upon the world. And So the angel, as we discussed, is also what's surrounded. It says right there, stood about uh, in verse 10, clothed with a cloud uh, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was where the sun, his feet were as the pillars of fire. And so uh, he's also surrounded by a cloud, which is typical of Christ. Almost every time when his re- deity is revealed, you're going to see the presence of a cloud. Psalms 97.2. some more scriptures that we didn't give you the other day. Uh, Clouds and darkness are around about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Psalms 97.2. Clouds and darkness are around about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Clouds there in 97.2 equals righteousness. Darkness equals judgments. So clouds and darkness are righteousness and judgment. And so we see this. What he's done. Well, you know what's interesting to me about that. I think back to the 51st Psalm after David was confronting, uh, confronted in his adultery in uh, with Bathsheba and his uh, conspiring to murder her husband Uriah the Hittite. And so Nathan the prophet comes to him, and what does he tell him? He said, "You know what? That you might be, you desire truth in the inward parts." And he said, "That you might be righteous in your judgment, that you're true." So his his judgments are always. Righteous. So he's always, anytime God connects judgment to righteousness, you see the character of him. Because folks, unfortunately, our judgments are not always righteous. Sometimes we have, uh, uh errors in our judgment, but, and our self-righteousness is like filthy rags. So the only one that can operate in righteous judgments is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so he is coming at this point, realizing his judgments, but describing that when I judge, that I'm righteous; that there is only holiness and righteousness in my hands. Next instance you'll see with that cloud issue is uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 10. It says, "As it came to and it came to pass, as Aaron, uh, uh, who was the, the high priest over Israel at that time, the brother of Moses, spoke with the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud." Another one is Exodus. We can jump down three chapters. Exodus 19:9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I am come unto you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe uh, you forever. And Moses uh, told the words of the people unto the Lord. Uh, Then jump down seven verses to 19.16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings, and a thick cloud was upon the mount. Exodus 19.16. And the voice of the trumpet was exceedingly loud, so all the people that were in the camp they trembled. Uh, let's jump down. What, 21 chapters? Or actually, 11 chapters to Exodus chapter uh, 21 chapters. Exodus 40:34. Then the Lord covered the tent of the congregation. Then, excuse me. Then the cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 14 verses down. Exodus 40:38. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, and in the sight of all those of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Another one, Matthew seventeen five. While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased hear you him. Uh, Acts 1 and 9. And when he had spoken these things, this is Jesus right there at prior to his ascension, standing there after... Uh, uh, giving the commission to the to the great commission, which is also recorded in Mark sixteen fifteen and right there in Acts one and eight to his disciples. And he says, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And then finally, Luke twenty one twenty seven, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So, you know, I want to give you that to kind of kind of solidify that position, just show you that I'm not just trying to pull something out and just say, well, this is my opinion. I believe it's really uh, substantiated greatly by Scripture on the, on the, the personages of who that other uh, mighty angel is. And so then we see the presence also, and let me give you a little bit more evidence on that, we see the presence of the rain, rainbow, which most everybody immediately associates that with that noatic covenant you know, that he made with, with Noah, and that God made with uh, mankind following the flood. But also, uh, we saw it in Revelation 2-3, immediately I was in the Spirit, Behold, the throne was set up in heaven, and one that set upon the throne, he that sat upon him looked like jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in the side of him, and so like unto an emerald. And so, once again, the the angel, presence of the the cloud, the rainbow, consistent with Christ. Then, we said it describing, it says he had a face like the sun. And probably a lot of you it may, may make you think of Acts 9, 3, and 5, When speaking of Saul, before he became Paul, when he journeyed near Damascus, it says suddenly there was a light shined round about him from heaven. And he fell on the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. And it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so once again, that bright light, uh, Saul, who later became Paul, was, was blinded by that. And who was that bright light? That was obviously identified specifically by name as the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we go on. We see the the, the feet like pillars that we first were introduced to in Revelation one fifteen. It talks about he had those pillars, uh, feet were like burnished brass, and so then uh, Revelation ten two, and he had in his hand a little book, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. You know, folks, I mentioned in the last class that that this. Uh, that this was a little book. This isn't the same scroll. This is one contained within that that seal uh, within that trumpet and scroll. And what John is seeing here spiritually, it, it's it's a spiritual uh, uh, manifestation and not a physical second advent uh, type of uh, occurrence that we're going to see at the end of the tribulation. I had somebody ask me the other day in one of these questions. They said, "Listen, is so is there going to be more than one appearing?" I said, "Well, absolutely. There's going to be more than one appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ." And I said, but what you got to understand is how that appearing is going to happen. There is going to be an appearing that he's going to appear in the clouds at the second advent, and he's going to return, and every eye is going to see him, and there's not going to be any question. But what you also see consistent with the scripture, and here we see an, uh, an indication of that in Revelation 10 too, there's that spiritual manifestation appearing, which is not, and I want to say this, the Jehovah Witnesses prophesied. Uh, The the Jehovah Witness cult, I'll just put that on record right now in this recording. They they began to prophesy that they were the only true church and that that Jesus would return and take over and establish his uh, theocracy in 1917. And so it didn't happen and so they I believe they bumped that up to nineteen twenty four and they just progressively have done it ever since. And since it's they kept failing, they basically said, Well, it was a spiritual uh uh manifestation and so it's never gonna be a physical to the to the world. So they had to backtrack. That's not what this is whatsoever. When this is talking about after the rapture of the church, there's gonna be these uh this uh, this, this appearing which, which is not in the physical sense but what it reveals is Christ basically taking authority over all that he's created both basically land and sea and he's about to open that little book of judgment that's going to be revealed now think about this a second we're talking about this spiritual revealing of this spiritual appearance of him where it's one foot on the sea and one foot on the land once again the earth is his. He's created all things, and there's no things that are created that were not created by him. And so what this is saying is that he has the authority over everything, land in the sea, that this earth heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Remember John fifty two. For God does not judge any man, but has committed all judgment unto his son, which is obviously Jesus. So how much judgment has he committed? All judgment. And so, what are we talking about here? We're talking about judgment. And so, once again, to kind of reinforce the whole notion that this angel is the Lord Jesus Christ, what's this, this, this angel doing? He's dispensing and administering judgment. And so, by this, or, or by having the authority to take, open, and read this book, his identity must be the Lord Jesus Christ because once again all the characteristics and the authority in which he's exhibiting can only be uh, be authorized uh, or administered through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, 103 said and he cried with a loud voice as it were a lion that roared and when he had cried seven thunders uttered their seven voices. And so here we hear that line roaring. Maybe that's the voice that these astronomers are hearing out in the distance. They're hearing the, the roar of the line from heaven that's that's rapidly uh, uh racing towards uh earth at the speed of light which wouldn't be unusual because he is the light of the world and he is the the light that's coming shining to darkness so out of that darkness out of that vacuum of silence of of space now think about that just for a second here we have for just a moment that 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 going back a, a chapter that there's going to be silence in heaven well that's the vacuum of space but out of that is going to come that great voice which science is having to say listen something's happening that we have, it's inexplicable to us, anything that we don't. Well, it's not inexplicable to us because it's right here in the Word of God. So next time you're out witnessing on the streets and somebody says, well, there's no God in the Bible, take them to the Revelation. Begin to show them and and remember that news article that you have. And you can go to Fox News and punch in a a query search on that, and you can find those or you can write to me and I'll email you the the story if you you don't want to have to look for it. And so it says that he cried to the loud voices when a lion roars, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices, voices. Hosea 11:10, the prophet Hosea, chapter 11, verse 10, says this: It says, They shall walk after the Lord, he shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. So he's going to roar, and what's going to happen? People are going to tremble in fear. And that's exactly what we see there. Then another good verse for that is Joel, the prophet Joel, 3:16 which really completely ties into this. We talk about Peter standing up on the, on the day of Pentecost and, and preaching that prophecy about the last days, which is also uh, that, uh, that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out, giving a testimony of the witness of the 144,000, and also uh, uh, speaking of the tribulation period described right there in the second chapter of the book of Acts and also the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And so Joel says, And the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. What are we seeing? We're seeing everything that can be shaken is being shaken. But the Lord will be the hope for His people and the strength of the children of Israel. Israel. Folks, just as we've talked about this kind of the the duality of the covenant that that, that only has one solution, which is Jesus, but God has operated within covenants. He operated in the old covenant, which He specifically gave to Israel to make a people out of them, but that covenant was renewed. There was a new covenant given to us Through the same promises, through the same faith that that, that Abraham, it says that Abram had faith and was accounted unto him for righteousness. Our our righteousness, once again, is through faith in the finished blood of Jesus. But there's that that duality of covenants that are going to basically come to the same point. They're going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrificial work on the cross. They got it in a type and shadow They got it in the tabernacle. They got it in the temple. They got it in the the ordinances under the law. What do we get? We get the new and living way. We get the flesh and blood testimony that they rejected and it became alive to us. And so when we get that, what's He going to do? Out of Zion, He's going to roar and He's going to restore hope to His people and He's going to bring strength back to the children of Israel. Just as Jesus said at His first coming, he He said, "...I did not come but to the lost sheep of the tribes of Israel." And so when he came for that, and so this tribulation period, this 70th week of Daniel, is going to be the the, full, uh, the fulfillment of his coming in that, that final, uh, uh, basically the commencement of restoring them back to himself. Then uh, verses uh, four and five, and when the seven thunders uttered the voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from seven saying unto me, Seal up those things of which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. Uh, we could, we can speculate why that those things were, and we mentioned those the other day, that maybe they were just too specific for, for, for what needed to be said there. Maybe they would have been misunderstood. Uh, uh, maybe the time was just not right, or, or maybe what they said was only for John to hear. We can speculate why they, they weren't said, but folks, that's where our speculation's gotta end. We're really forbidden scripturally to even really worry about that. So, since he's not able to say it and he saw it, uh, I guess I won't speculate because I wasn't there at the time. All I can see is what was revealed to him. And it says in verse 6, And he swore by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in, therein and the earth, and the things therein are, and the sea and the things which therein, there should be time no longer. And so, once again, we see that angel that's bringing all this, this, this revelation. He swore by these things. I'll go ahead and read verse 7. But in the days of the, of the sounding of the angel... Uh, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. And he declared to his servants the prophets. And so it, it says that he raised up. Listen to what it says there. He, and, he, and he utters his voices. And I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, "Still not those things, heaven up. And the angel which I heard stand in the sea, lifted up his hands unto heaven. Folks, Daniel, which was written about 600 years earlier than this, witnessed basically an event very similar to this in Daniel chapters 10 through 12. And he was told of events that are going to involve the Jewish people in the last days. we talked about this time and time again. Once again, there's, there's a lot of quote unquote Gentile Christian believers that are determined to go through the tribulation. I guess they want a, uh, you know, a, a close, up close and personal view of this. Again, read Daniel 10 through 12. Uh, read Revelation 10, uh, uh, 4 through 6. Read, you know, uh, what we've looked at in, in Joel 3.16, Hosea 11.10. Whatever these are that we're talking about today. And you're going to see a very specific time period that's there for a very specific thing. And that is to bring the restoration of the covenant that he had with Israel. There is no purpose whatsoever for the church to be a part of this cataclysmic event. Whatsoever. We've not have been pointed unto this period of wrath and there, it, it does not serve a purpose whatsoever. You know, he's not uh, in the business of beating up his bride before uh, he, he welcomes his betrothed to the altar. That's just not the, the whole pattern that we see throughout the scripture. And so he raises up his hand. And so in Daniel's scene that you could read there, and I'm not going to read that from Daniel 10, 12. You can go back and read that sometime. Basically, the, 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 the description is, is similar to that of the mighty angel. And basically what he does, he reveals to Daniel that there's going to be a specific time and end times, uh, events regarding the, the Jewish temple, the number of days of its desecration. And in, danger, in, in Daniel, the angel stood above the, the, the river and basically swore about the certainty of time involved. Again, folks, this angel here is making the, uh, the proclamations. He's, he's, making these, he, he's making this oath. Under the Old Covenant, nobody but God could ever do that. Under the New Covenant, only nobody but God can do that. And so, there's got to be a deity involved in this. Let me, read, let me go ahead and just read Daniel ten, uh, excuse me, twelve, seventeen. It says, Then I heard a man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. And when he held up his right hand and he, his, his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half time, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, then all these things shall be finished. What are we seeing? We're seeing the exact same scene that was basically written down 600 years prior to that. And we're on the verge of seeing that in the not-so-distant future. So the angel in Daniel 10.12 was swearing that after that, what, times, times, and half time, after that three-and-a-half-year period, that, that when the power of the Jewish people has been completely shattered, then all things will be Finished, And so what you're going to see is you're going to see the whole breaking down. You're going to see the invasions. You're going to see all these, these cultural things. You're going to see the, the overrunning of, of Jerusalem. Then what's going to happen? Then, he says, that that work or that time of trouble is going to be finished. In other words, there's not going to be any delay after that point. This is exactly what that mighty, mighty angel here at the midpoint of the tribulation period is saying. That there should be no more a delay. It will delay no longer. It will be no more chronos in the Greek. And so there will be no more time. The time will be finished. And again, that reflects the message right there that we see in Daniel twelve seven that all things shall be finished. And folks, also that 70th week of Daniel that we talked about, Jacob's trouble is going to be completed. That 70th, that 7th trumpet in the Revelation, which we'll see, in, in Re- it starts in uh, Revelation 15, is going to start that second half of the tribulation or the last three and a half years. And so, comes to an end, what's the coming to an end? That last Three and a half years of the tribulation. Then it says, He lifted up his hand, and I swore by him that lives forever, who created all things, uh, and all things that therein are in the sea, and the things which uh, are no more. And so in the days of, let me back up to verse, uh, And the angel which I saw stand upon the earth, and upon his hand to heaven, and swore by him that lives forever, who created all things that are therein are in the earth, and the things that are therein are in the sea, and the things which are therein that should be time no longer. And so this in this this period of time in these days of this, this final trumpet sounding, this three and a half-five years, what's going to do is that conclusion of things or God's plan for the ages is going to be revealed. Folks, what's so exciting about that is once once it's over, it's going to be over. And so people have asked me the question, so Is there ever going to be a chance of a great revolt happening in heaven again? What do you think? Let's throw that up just for a second. I'll give a little pause. What's going to to prevent a revolt from ever happening in heaven again? Does anybody have any idea? What would keep... Okay, here we go. Let's go back into the timeless past that we don't know anything about it in history. And we had Lucifer that uh, I saw that Lucifer descend from heaven, fall from heaven. He was booted out of heaven, uh, cast out of heaven. And he took a third of the angels with him. What's going to keep that from ever happening again? Anybody have any idea? I'll throw it out to my studio audience. What would ever keep that from happening again? Is there the possibility that it happened again? <laughs> Nobody wants to answer. What is that? Well, Satan is, is knocked down. Well,. Satan wasn't Satan before he became Satan. He was just another angel. There's What would keep Michael from following in, in like fashion? What would keep Gabriel or one of the other named angels? What would keep them from doing it? Do you have any idea? Evidently not. you know what it is, folks? You know what was not present, what had never happened up to that point? The cross. So, folks, when we talk about the preaching of the gospel as those that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. You know what's going to keep there from ever being another revolt? is the cross. And let me explain that to you just for a second. We think about what the cross does. Now, here you have an angelic host of heaven that had always been in the presence of God. They'd always seen His glory. They, they had, As they were, they were free will, moral agents. And so they, they don't know everything. They don't have a full revelation. They're not, they're, om, they're not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. They're not omnipotent. They don't have those omni-attributes of God. And so even for the angels, things are revealed to them over time. God speaks to them, he gives a direction. They just don't read God's mind. God gives us a direction to these messengers. And so when when God revealed his love, you know what? On the cross, the angels, once and for all, saw the full manifestation of who he was. You know why? Because they knew the Son of God prior to the incarnation. They knew the, the relationship of the Godhead. Us, when we think about what Jesus suffered, certainly we can go and watch Mel Gibson's uh, rendition on the the Passion of the Christ, and we can see the the Hollywood uh, uh, manifestations on a physical body. But folks, the angelic host of heaven... What they saw was the, the, the treachery. What they saw was the, the violence. What they saw is the abhorring of mankind against the holiness of God. They, saw, they knew what God could do at any moment. They knew that God could obliterate mankind and start over if He so desired. But what they saw was the manifestation of God's love to a degree that they had never known before. And so what's going to happen now that we see through a glass darkly, And folks, we do. We want to hold on to that blessed hope. We want to put faith in the cross. But folks, you know what? If we had the same revelation of the cross that angels do, who the cross wasn't even for in regards to redemption, if we had that, folks, you know what? we wouldn't have to worry about struggling with sin. We wouldn't have to worry about struggling with fear and doubt and unbelief. Why? Because we would know that He was wounded for our transgressions. We would know that, 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 that all of our iniquity was laid upon Him. We would know that He was bruised for our iniquities. And so any bondage that we had in our, our life, whether it was lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life, whether it was drinking, smoking, cursing, gossiping, whatever it was, we would see the manifestation and there would be no flesh that would be able to glory in the presence of God as revealed through the cross of Calvary. We would know that the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. We, we would know that there's, that there's no need for us to worry. There's no need to fret. Why? Because the One that loved us poured Himself out in totality upon the cross of Calvary. We would know that by His stripes that we're healed. Folks, you know why we're not. there's not going to be any sickness? There's not going to be any tears in, in eternity? Why? Because we're going to have the full-scale manifestation of the power of the cross for eternity. And so the cross, folks... Of the old covenant, they always look forward to it. Of us, the new covenant, we always look back to it. But it's going to stand as that, that beacon of light and of hope. It's going to stand as that thing that radiates throughout the ages, the cross of Calvary, folks. That's why Paul the Apostle said, listen, I'm determined not to know anything else except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. That's why there's such a, 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 a pronouncement against those that have become enemies of the cross, those that pervert the gospel. That's why Paul the Apostle says, anybody comes preaching another gospel, what's the gospel? The message of the cross. He said, I don't care if it's me, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. He said, you let them be accursed. But when eternity comes to bear, folks, whew, the cross of Calvary and the, the full manifestation and the ramifications of it are going to be revealed. That's what's going to keep any fall from ever happening again. And that's what's going to continue eternal judgment upon people to continually throughout the ages to be righteous. And so people say, you know what, Man, God, that wouldn't be righteousness Uh, for God to judge somebody that only sinned maybe 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 80 years of their life and now they're going to be judged by eternity? You know why that question is never going to come up in eternity? Because no one is ever going to be able to stand in the light of the cross and make those type of accusations against the righteousness of God. They're going to say to themselves, you know what, for all their sin, what did they do? They didn't just transgress themselves. They didn't transgress times. They transgressed the very righteousness and the love of God which is demonstrated upon the cross of Calvary. And so the cross will stand as a testimony against the unrighteous and it will stand as a a beacon of light and the stability and the foundation of everything holy from from time without end. So there is the benefit and the power of Christ. Not just for us to keep us from going to hell, but what's going to stand is the light and the power of everybody, ageless past. No more sins, no more tears, no more worry, no more fear, no more sickness, no more doubt, no more uh, unbelief. None of those things. Why? Because we're going to see the cross just as what it's meant to be. Amen? So there is the testimony in the days of that conclusion of what's going to come to, to pass. And so, folks, that's what we need to stand upon here and in the now and say, God, revealed the mystery of the cross to me. And, and Because, you know, cross, once it became a trinket around a neck or it became a, an emblem in an ear, once it became, you know, once they kept him on the cross on, in, the, in, the, in the Catholic crucifix, what they've done, they've eliminated the timeless aspect and the full manifestation of the power of the cross of Calvary. It crucifies not just... Uh, One thing, but it crucifies everything. It crucifies sin, sickness, disease, etc., 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 etc. That the mystery of God might be fulfilled. And so, to be fulfilled, folks, is that basically is the Greek word that says to shut the mouth of. To shut the mouth of something. And so, when the mystery of God is, is revealed... It's gonna, it's gonna shut the mouth up. There's not gonna be any more accusation. There's not gonna be any fear, fear. There's not gonna be any doubt and unbelief. There's not gonna be anybody standing before him. Even as the word says now that the accuser of the brethren, uh, goes before him to, to condemn us and to accuse us day and night. But the accuser of the brethren, folks, is gonna be cast down. His mouth is gonna be shut at the fulfillment of those days. And so basically, Daniel's words that we've talked about were sealed until the time was ready. And so one day, the meaning of all prophecy is gonna be revealed. No more darkness, uh, no more uncertainty, and there's not going to be any more mystery of God's plan anymore in any time in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. It says that he declared to his servants and his prophets. Folks, listen, God is already revealing things to us in a a particular degree degree throughout his servants the prophets. Think about your own walk. Some of you have probably undoubtedly uh, considered yourself followers of Christ for 10, 15, some 20 or more years. Think about what he's revealed to you in that period of time. Think about what he may have revealed to you in the last half an hour, or the last 56 minutes of this, this teaching we've had. You know what he's doing? He's constantly in the business of unveiling himself. As we press closer to the, to the veil, so to speak, as we close, press closer to the cross, where, was the, where is the unveiling? The unveiling is a result of the cross. It says that when Jesus died upon the cross, He gave up the ghost. It says the, the veil in the temple, which was that type, which was that, that physical manifestation of what we're seeing in this unveiling in the spirit realm, it says it was torn from top to bottom. It was tore, rent twain from, from the very top to the level of understanding all the way down to our, 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 feet to the walk, that type of pattern, the veil that is his flesh, speaking of the, the physical uh, manifestation of him. And so folks, as we get to the manifestation of the cross, what happens? There becomes a greater unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. And so we, we see that he's revealing that to us. And folks, as you press into his presence, as you let the word of God come to you, as you begin to fast, as you begin to, to pray, as you begin to get that unveiling, as you uh, cease to fight a battle of flesh and blood, As you begin to to understand that your weapons are not carnal, they're not natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, you'll see that the strongholds in our life many times are a lack of understanding. And so what we need to do is come to our our hearts and our lives and get a full understanding of who Christ Jesus is through the revelation of His Word. Then we're told in Daniel uh, 12.10 that those who are wise will understand God's plan. But none of the wicked are going to understand it. Why? Because those things are spiritually discerned. And So understanding God's end time plan is a blessing and a sign of wisdom according to the scriptures. And we saw that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 when it talks about you're blessed that you're going to get this acknowledgement. Folks, so listen. If you are not understanding God's end time plan... What you need to do is seek God and ask why your understanding is shrouded, why it's veiled. What is there that's keeping me from understanding God's plan for the ages? What is it that's keeping me from understanding the, 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 the urgency of the time that we're in? Folks, there's many people that are sincere, people that say they love God, that, that aren't out in any type of heinous crimes, they're very involved in their church or their ministry or whatever else, that do not have an urgency for the hour. Folks, we've got to be like Paul the apostle spoke of in, in, in Second Timothy chapter four. That listen, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for those who love His appearing. We've got to be in love with His unveiling. We've got to be in love with His appearing. So the understanding that the Messiah has given us uh, uh, in regards to His suffering to die for man's sin, and be, but before that, that, that understanding of what that was all about in the cross, and before He comes and rules and reigns on earth, He's revealing those things to us piece by piece, bit by bit. And go and look in Matthew sixteen twenty one sometime. Matthew sixteen twenty one, Mark eight thirty-one, and Luke twenty-four, forty-five through forty-eight. Don't have time to go and, and, and read all those things to you in their totality. And so goes on to say he was handed that, that, that book. He was handled, handed that, that little book, and he's told to go and eat that book. And that book, once again, folks, was the the, uh, the the revelation of that. And you know what that's really talking to us? And he said that book was sweet on his lips but was bitter in his belly. Sweet on the lips, but bitter in the belly. You know what, folks? That's talking about the revelation of God's Word. You know, sometimes when God gives us a Word, we say to ourselves, man, that's fantastic. But when we, it gets down deep on the inside of us, then we begin to see the consequences. For instance, if I said to you, you know what? God is good and His mercy endures forever. That's sweet on the lips. But what happens when that Word reveals that there's judgment for those that reject the goodness and the mercy of God? There's a bitterness upon that. and so what what John was was getting what he was receiving on that that bitterness was the sweetness of that revelation, the unveiling, but there was going to be a bitterness to know that there's going to be untold billions of people that are going to be uh, the, the, the the recipients of this great judgment that's about to be unfurled upon the planet. and so he he received this this uh, uh, this, this bitterness and let me read something to you from Amos five eighteen through twenty Amos five eighteen through twenty. And it says, War unto you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear to meet him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is not uh, uh, it very dark and no brightness in it? Folks, that's the consequence to the unredeemed. That's the consequence for those that do not know the voice of the Lord, that do not have an understanding of who He is and His desire to see our hearts and lives changed and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I'm going to jump down to verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. Once again, his authority. And I went unto the angel and he said unto me, Give me that little book. And he said unto me, Take it, eat it, and it will be, make your, your belly bitter, uh, but it shall be sweet upon your mouth like honey. In other words, you're going to be blessed to receive this revelation, but once you begin to see the unfolding of these things, once you begin to see you know, three-fourths of the world die, it's going to be bitterness to you. You're going to be joyous uh, because of what it does do, the, the, the restoration of the covenant, but the bitterness of it is going to be the realization that so many people are not going to receive salvation through Christ Jesus. And I took that little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it as it was in my mouth, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, You must prophesy again before many people and nations, tongues, and kings. In other words, when chapter 11 comes around in our Start Tomorrow He's going to continue to get a revelation of things that He's got to speak. Folks, you know, as we talked about today, and maybe you're here, maybe you're listening to this later on, and I really wanted to drive home the point today just about the revelation of the cross and what it means to us. You know, you know, folks, now is the time. Today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You may not have another moment. You may not have another day. Maybe you're not listening to this live, but maybe someone gave you this, this CD or maybe you're talking about it later. You've downloaded it off the, off the Internet. Uh, You're not listening to this by chance or by happenstance. I believe that God has ordained a time for you to hear the good news of salvation. It's really good news. It's sweet right now. But if you reject what you're hearing now, what seems so sweet and so loving and so good, is going to produce bitterness in your belly. Why? Because you're going to have to one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And He's going to look into your life and He's going to say, why did you hear and why did you reject? Why did you put off? Because I came to you in a moment that you were not aware of and your soul is now required of you. But the good news is, folks, he says if we're faithful to confess our sins and repent, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you'll ask the Lord Jesus to cleanse you, to forgive you, if you'll say, God, come into my life and teach me, I need to know you, you know what he'll do? He'll do exactly that. He'll save you. The Word of God tells us in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, it says that whoever uh, will confess the Lord Jesus Christ with their mouth and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. If you'll do that, you'll cry out to him and you'll turn from your old life, you'll be saved. If you want more information on that, uh email me, Raven at biggrace dot com, R A V E N at biggrace dot com. I'll talk to you. I'm Pastor Troy. More questions, you need prayer. Uh Send me an email, send me your phone number, I'll call you up on my dime and we'll talk about these things. Folks, we'll be back tomorrow for our uh, continuation into the 11th chapter of the book of the Revelation. Like I said, uh, verses uh, 1 through 14 are basically kind of continuation of this parenthetical statement. But we're going to continue into that tomorrow and look a little bit different about these prophecies that, that John was told that he had to prophesy again. But I've got a little bit of advice for you today. Get into God's Word and God's Word will get into you.